Hello, and welcome to the Seven Sage Podcast. I'm Joe Ping, and on today's episode, we're presenting a webinar on how to effectively train yourself to successfully and accurately conquer an RC passage. Seven Sage tutor Jacob Schultz discusses his best tips for the reading comprehension section and offers unique ways to improve your skills. And then he and Seven Sage tutor Scott Milam take questions from the audience. Hi, my name is Scott Milam, and I'm the manager of the Seven Sage Tutoring Program. Tonight, I'm joined by Jacob Schultz. Jacob is the former managing editor of Lawfare and one of the rising stars of our tutoring program. This evening, he is here to discuss the ways you can better train yourself to master the reading comprehension section. So without further ado, Jacob, take it away. Yeah, thank you, Scott. So yeah, and welcome, everybody. It's cool to see so many people here. We want to learn about RC, which is everyone's favorite section. So what we want to do today, I want to, before getting into it, just talk a little bit about what are we going to talk about? What are we not going to talk about? Stuff that we will not be going over in any great detail today is this isn't really going to be about sort of the tactical questions of how do you take RC. When you're taking your practice tests, when you're taking your sessions, when you're ultimately like face to face with the test, what do you do? A great place to go to learn a lot about that is we did a webinar two months ago with one of my colleagues, Asta, and the webinar is awesome. And I even assign it to some of my tutoring clients to watch. And I really recommend going there to, to talk about that. And the other thing that we're not going to do here is going over a detailed study plan for how you concoct your perfect study plan for RC, because the answer is the perfect study plan for RC is specific to you. And either you're the best person to figure that out or a, a tutor is a very good person to figure that out with. So instead, the stuff that I want to talk about is the first thing is what exactly is RC testing? There's all sorts of questions and internet forums devoted to is it testing reading ability? Is it testing general stuff? What exactly is testing? So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some myths around RC studying. And then the meat of this, I want to talk about giving you guys a bigger menu of options for, for doing RC studying, breaking the assumption that all you can be doing is taking PTs, doing the core curriculum, and doing just endless the same drills over and over again. So that's what we're going to do today. And we're also going to sort of talk a bit at the end about how do you mix and match different RC options to make sure you know, to this studying for the LSAT is a marathon and we want to do it in a way that it feels sustainable and feels like you're adjusting as, as you get closer and closer to, to test day. All right. So you kind of alluded to the fact of several different things that the RC isn't testing. So tell us a little bit about so what is this reading comprehension section actually testing? Yeah, so I think a helpful way of thinking about RC is it, it's sort of testing, yes, it's testing your ability to remember information, but it's also sort of testing four, four buckets of things. So the first is your pace of reading. So unlike in your normal course of business, you have to read RC passages fast. And the LSAT is written by design to make you have to read really fast and to make you have to read really fast and, and be retaining some stuff too. That's, that's hard. The second thing that it's testing is testing focus. The whole LSAT, in a way, is testing focus. And everyone who's here probably knows that to some extent. But one way that I, I talk to my clients about this is in everyday life, it, it's totally fine every now and then to just take out your phone or to get up and get a drink, to just type in Twitter and your URL bar, watch a YouTube video, whatever. When you are face-to-face -face with the LSAT, and especially, I think, RC, this is really brought to the forefront, is you can't do that. And part of what feels uncomfortable, I think, for a lot of people, especially in RC where you're just reading, 
there's no respite and you gotta you gotta keep going so you have to practice that and yeah and, and consistent with that it's it's a stamina game you have to oftentimes i have students that and and i experienced this too when i was studying for the lsat i would often have a big taper off for the fourth passage because i was just tired it's like it's 35 minutes spent really reading precise stuff and really zeroed in. And that's hard. And you have to, you have to test that and you have to, you have to practice that and you gotta, you gotta do it. So, and the final thing that it's reading, and this is, this is something that I think Asa did a good job of talking about. And, and this is something that should occupy a lot of your RC studying is it's testing your ability to, to read in a very specific way. You're reading for the LSAT RC, you are reading for structure. You're reading for what is the structure of the thing that is being written? And what is the author, what's the author trying to accomplish with the thing that they're writing? You should be constantly asking yourself, what is the point of this? What is the point of that? What does the author think? And that's a really different way of reading and interacting with written material than most people are used to. I, as Scott mentioned, I used to be an editor and how does I really had to sort of rewire how I was doing my reading from this very granular picking things out and discarding them. And, and it's the same for a lot of you people who are paralegals. You're reading for excruciating details for commas in the place. And if you're a college student, you're reading, if you're a history major, you're reading for just raw information retention ability. And the LSAT's testing none of those things. So part of what we're trying to do here and part of what we'll talk about is ways to, to rewire your brain to make it so that you're more, you're more able to approach the LSAT RC section in the way that it's, it's meant to be approached. Yeah, I'll just jump in there as well. One of the things that I, I've encountered with a lot of high-performing clients who perhaps have done really well on previous standardized tests, like the SAT and the ACT, is that when they come to the LSAT, they're, they're surprised that they struggle with the reading comprehension section because ultimately it's testing for a different kind of reading than those others. Not only is it different from the reading that we do in high school and college, hopefully the sort of reading that we'll be doing in, in law school. But it also, you test it completely differently than other standardized tests. And so can you talk a little bit about maybe the difference there? Scott, you're the, you're the teacher among us, so maybe you're better positioned to do this. But I, I would say, so I took the ACT when I was doing, when I was getting ready to apply to college and all that stuff. And, and I really found that I didn't have to do, I, I wasn't doing a lot of thinking about the type of reading that I was doing. I was doing the same type of reading that I was doing in high school, which is retaining information, processing it very quickly. And there's a speed component to the ACT, which is not there for reading The Great Gatsby or whatever. It, it felt very consistent with everything else that I was doing. It's just understand, gleam the point of this very quickly, remember some facts and just go. Whereas with the LSAT, I think what I found hard, I had a bit of a hard time with RC at first, is it sort of feels like you're thrown in the deep end and they're asking you to do a bunch of things that I'm just not doing when I'm reading things normally. I, I'm not thinking about like, I, I'm not thinking as much about what does the author think about. I'm not constantly trying to get in the author's head when I'm reading something normally. And I think with the, my recollection of the SAT and the ACT is the information on the page is much more important than the perception of what the author's perspective is. I, I think that's probably. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly right. And also, I mean, you kind of mentioned the, the details and acquiring facts. And for the most part, the LSAT just doesn't seem to care about facts. It cares about following the flow of a relatively intricate argument. That's just not the sort of reading that most of us do on a daily basis. Reading The Great Gatsby is not, it's about a lot of different things, but it's not really about following the thesis from paragraph to paragraph and understanding how this paragraph connects to the one 
before it and the one after it and all of those sorts of detailed structural analysis. But with the LSAT, if you if you can't do that and if you can't learn to do that or if you don't realize that that's what you, the LSAT is expecting you to learn to do, then RC can just be kind of an endless source of frustration because you've, you've trained your entire life to read in a different sort of way. Yeah, and I would say just the last thing to that effect is what, what the way I think about RC is RC is testing your ability to, to categorize what is the function of what is the role of all sorts of bits of information as a part of some component whole? What is the role of this author that we're talking about? What is the role of this study? What is the role of this counterexample? And that's just very different from what other standardized tests are, are testing, in my recollection, at least, at least the ACT. So, yeah. Well, so you've talked a little bit about what makes it difficult. What are the, how do we go about training for it then? I think most people think of, first of all, there's the, the classic cliche that RC is unlearnable. That's the thing that you hear over and over again. And people, if you, for, for those of us who are on the LSAT Reddit, I think sometimes that gets thrown about and then someone will quickly shoot them down and rebut it. But, and then the other way that people handle RC, for people who think that RC is a learnable thing, there's often a tendency, I think, to just be overly focused on thinking about it as just general it's this abstract thing that you're generally trying to get better at. And the way that you're generally trying to get better at is you're doing sections, you're doing you're doing PTs, and you're kind of just leaving it at that. Not drilling down as much into what are the subcomponent parts of, of RC. This, this stuff I started with, what is it testing? So yeah, the, the way that I think I would encourage people to think about RC practice and RC training is you want to be thinking about what is the value of each thing that I'm doing? How is each thing that I'm doing contributing to one of those buckets? How is it helping? How is it helping my focus? How is it helping my stamina? How is it helping my ability to read quickly for structure? How is it helping my ability to read fast? And for different people, that can mean different things. And we'll we'll get into it, what the, what the different things can be. But I think that just as a starting place, it's really useful, I think, for people to be thinking about RC. RC studying is a segmented thing. You're not just trying to get better at the same general broad thing all the time. You're, you're focusing on, on different weaknesses and, and drilling different component parts of it. So yeah, so, so getting into it a bit. So the first pillar of, of RC training, and this is honestly, for, for anyone who I think is familiar with seven stage, this is the first pillar of all LSAT sections is, is drilling. Just drilling is unbelievably valuable and it, it's such a good use of time. And we'll talk a bit about what that means. But I, I think for anyone who's doing, for anyone who's studying for the LSAT and for anyone who's having a hard time with RC, I think the first place to look is not to just keep doing PTs. That's sometimes what people... I think sometimes people think they can PT their way out of RC trouble because that's a way of practicing. It's a way of practicing the time constraints. But drilling can be really good. So what do I mean by drilling? So drilling is, first of all, it's a way to maximize. Let's say you have 20 minutes. You've, you've got you've to go to the gym and you've got to, or whatever, your shift ends and you have 35 minutes before you do something. Drilling is great. You sit down, you do two really hard RC passages, you set yourself a goal time, you it's a way of making your study time more maneuverable. So that, that's one. So I'll just give some examples of what drilling might mean. So at 7 Sage, we really low resolution summary. So a low resolution summary being while you're reading RC, after each paragraph, you're, you're jotting down something about what is the what is the point of this paragraph? What is this paragraph doing in relation to the author's broader argument? And something that I did when I took the test, I found to be super valuable. It's also an amazing drill. It's just drilling your, your ability to do low res summaries. Maybe you have a friend and you guys can compare who said what with a lot of my tutoring clients. They'll do a low res summary. I'll do a low res summary. And what's often really productive is just talking about, okay, why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? And it's a, 
I think is a way of drilling. It's a way of drilling that thing, the reading for structure and the reading for why. So yeah, that that's one. And I'll just throw throw out a couple more that can be helpful. So another thing to think about, especially if you're sort of at the higher band of RC performance and you're really trying to go for a high score, it's it's a lot of it. It's just a speed game. You want to clear out as much time as possible to deal with the really hard passages. I know for me, I, I had a hard time with science passages, so I would I would try and be pretty conscious and like make sure I had enough time to tackle. Let's say there's a super hard science passage. I knew for myself that I needed time for that, so I would really I would push the pace with with things that felt more comfortable. And I think one thing that I, I often have people do, and I think is a really helpful drilling technique is setting way less time on the clock and drilling how quickly you can do the easy passages, doing a bunch of easy passages as quickly as possible. And then you wipe the slate, you take a walk around the block, and then you come back and you do a couple hard ones back to back and you set much more time on the clock. That's something that applies to all three sections of the test. If you're really struggling for time, it is a fool's errand to try to find time on the back half of a section. You will not find time by by making yourself more efficient at answering hard questions, but you can get more efficient at answering easy questions or save time on easy games or easy passages. If you're struggling for time, if you're not finishing, yeah, almost certainly what you should be doing is drilling the easier material on the section that you're not finishing, because that's what's going to let you, at first, it will just want to let you finish the actual section. But ultimately, by getting fast enough on that, you'll actually be able to have time to really linger on those harder questions and increase your accuracy on them. Yeah. And another way to think about drilling, and, and Scott was was really helpful to me and some of the other LSAT manager tutors here at Seven Stage have been really helpful. The game of the LSAT is hoarding points. You just want to be accumulating as many points as possible, regardless of where you are on the scoring band. And drilling is a really good way of sort of thinking about where can I pick up those points and how can I focus my study efforts to, to target that. So yeah. You mentioned sort of kind of low-res summary drilling, but how about those other two sections, talking about focus or stamina? What, what are some ways that people can drill for that? Yeah, so one thing that I sometimes have people do, so it's it's thirty standard LSAT time, 35 minutes. You could play a very mean trick and make someone do five LSAT passages. Add the requisite amount of time, add the target time that seventh stage sets, or a safe bet is add eight and a half minutes or add eight minutes and just do five. Do five instead of four. Another way to do it is we have what we call challenge drills. So instead of just doing a standard set of, in a standard LSAT reading section, if they're being kind to you, you get one passage that's kind of easy, one that's two that are meh, and then one that's really hard. A way to really test your ability to focus and to sort of really persevere is just 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 put, just put four really hard ones on the clock and see if you're able to, yes, you're going to get more questions wrong. Of course you are. But how are you able to stay in the game and focus? Because that's, again, part of RC, just any other section is how can you deal from a focus and stamina perspective with being thrown off your game and, and training that through drilling is a really useful thing. Yeah, and something I always encourage my clients that however you drill, you ultimately want the actual day you take the LSAT to feel easier than however you were drilling yeah. and preparing yes. for it, right? Yes. So, I mean, the same thing would be true if you're a long distance runner. If you want to train to run a given distance, you, you should occasionally try running beyond that distance. You want to feel like on the, the actual day, okay, then I have the actual task that's going to be in front of me on the day of the test is somehow easier than what I've been doing. I, I, some of my former clients will be glad to tell you that I occasionally will have them do five or six section tests if they really struggle with stamina, if their accuracy plummets on section four. Because ultimately, if you, you do a few five section or six section tests, and you'll be amazed how, how easy four sections will seem. And, and the same is true with RC and LG. Sometimes taking longer than the standard section can do wonders for you just having that additional stamina to push all the way to the 35 minute mark. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
So yeah, that, that's one bucket. And yeah, happy to talk more about that if people have questions. A second related, I would say the second traditional bucket that we'll talk about, then we'll get to the more fun stuff, is taking PTs. So everyone here, I would assume anyone on this call knows that there's some value in taking practice tests. I will talk specific to RC, what I what I think the value can be. So I think the way to think about taking practice tests, and Scott, you probably have lots to say here too, is so there's two, there's two ways that I would think about it. There's the value of the physical experience of taking the practice test. You're probably a little more stressed than when you're taking a game you're, or than when you're just drilling. You're, you're probably a little bit more conscious of the clock and it's training you it's putting you as close as you can get to that uncomfortable situation and this is also where i tell my clients and i really tried to work on this when i was studying for the test myself no phone in the room when you're taking practices no phone in the room stimulate actual test conditions don't be the person that just clicks through because you want to be done with the practice test. Take the minute break it's like it's teaching you to get acclimated to what the focus situation is. And I think really the section that people have the hardest time with that is RC because it's like, you're really taking the plunge. Every new passage you get, you got to just dive in and read it. There's no sort of, there isn't this sort of, I don't know, focus, marginal focus thing that you can kind of do with other, but there's diagramming that can save you or there's, you skip a question and come back. RC is hard from a focus standpoint when you're taking PTs. So it's, it's, it's really good. And the other thing, just while you're taking PTs that can be useful is for people who don't RC, what's the, what they would all say at the worst test day outcome is, is they've second RC section and that that experimental is is an RC. And a great way to be prepared for how that's going to make you feel is to take practice tests and have that be the case. As opposed to just being, oh man, not my day. There's there's two, what am I going to do? So there's there's that end of things. And then there's also the review. PT review is amazing for all sections. I think it's particularly good for for RC just because you can really RC, it can be really hard to disentangle timing errors from content errors because you're, you're really rushing. It's seven sections. And I think reviewing and, and doing blind review and doing a wrong answer journal is a way of honing in on what am I actually doing wrong here? It's a test where it's sort of RC is hard to put your finger on what's going on. And I, I think doing what I find is when I was taking this, I'm much more out of learning about myself through PTs in that respect. Yeah. I'll just kind of second a lot of the things you were saying. It's become a catchphrase in our tutoring program that I often find myself saying that taking PTs is a thermometer, but reviewing the PTs is a thermostat. Taking PTs outside of the initial, just what is this LSAT thing that I'm taking outside of your first initial diagnostic and maybe the first few PTs after that, taking PTs by itself doesn't increase your score at all. It shows you where you're, where you're at and what you need to work on, but it's the review. It's the drilling. It's all the work that you do to analyze that PT and to do something with it. That's what actually improves your score. And yet so often we see clients, I had consults with clients this week who were taking some of them two PTs a day leading into the September test, thinking that almost this kind of magical thinking that if I just take more PTs and do nothing else, something is going to change. I'm going to suddenly get better at this. All that does really is just eat through your prep material. I I would encourage you, please, if you're taking PTs, make sure you're also allotting enough time to review your mistakes and make something out of it. And that's especially true on the RC section, because you really, with infinite time, can go back through and really find where in the passage the actual answers to the questions were. And if you can do that, if you can constantly go back to your wrong answers and figure out where they are in the passage, see the thing that you missed the first time, then that's what's going to help you to identify those things in future tests. So if you're, if you're not reviewing adequately, you're cheating yourself of the opportunity to improve. Yeah. 
I think that's right. I think that's right. And I was, I took the LSAT twice. The first time I took it, I was that guy. I, I took a PT basically, <laughs> took a PT basically every day for 40 days before the test. Terrible idea. Don't do that. So those are two sort of, I, I think anyone who's on this call could have some sense that those are good things to do. And those are those are things that we, we might want to be doing. But what we wanted to do here was also give you alternative ways to think about RC training and, and ways to sort of supplement that and make it both more engaging, more sustainable, but also be a little bit more creative about ways to, to hit those four buckets that, that I was talking about. So the first one of these, and, and some of you may have heard people suggest this, is sort of what I would call long window free reading. So what do I mean by that? So what I mean by that is 30 minute blocks of reading things that can go for longer than 30 minutes that you enjoy. So for some people that maybe there are people who love reading a 10,000 word magazine feature and that maybe that's you. There are some people who really reading just very detailed history books. I have... A friend who I studied for the LSAT around the same time as he was just absolutely just going through all the Lyndon Johnson biographies as he was studying for the LSAT. So, and, and another thing that you could do, and this was me, is reading novels. Reading novels for 30 plus minutes, no phone, no computer, no Googling things, maybe even no getting up in, in an ideal world. So... Okay, so what's the point of this? You might think this is, there's a way that this sounds a little airy-fairy. The way that I think about it is that it's, it's a way of building your focus. I think part of what can be really hard, as we've talked about, is you've got to focus and you've, you've got to focus on the stuff on the page. You can't really look away all that much. And a great way, as Scott said, to make the actual LSAT feel easier is if you are routinely sitting down to read something for a 45 minutes straight or an hour straight or 35 minutes straight, it's going to feel a lot easier to read an individual passage for eight and a half minutes or for 10 minutes. It's just going to feel much easier. And it's totally fine. It's actually actually totally fine if the thing that you're reading that you enjoy it great you want to read more that's a good thing and i think two i mean it, it's sort of arbitrary but i, I think two buckets of, of substantive things that are particularly helpful are novels and sort of big nonfiction books and I, I think part of that is one thing about the lsat reading section too is they're throwing weird words at you all the time they're throwing weird words at you they're throwing especially for the art passages or the the humanities passages they're sometimes throwing sort of structurally creative or structurally things that, that feel a bit structurally confusing what is going on here and a great way to sort of train the patience for reading for structure and to train the patience of not getting bogged down in the I don't understand this word is is the is reading things that are super complicated reading I, I had a phase when I was doing the LSAT where I was reading a lot of literary fiction things that where authors are kind of going for it there's weird words there, there, there's interesting narrative things happening and it's really enjoyable to read a good novel for me but it's also it was a really good way of training patients what I'm trying to do here is understand what the author is going for and that's that's in a way that's the same thing that you're doing on the LSAT you need to exercise some patience. And instead of focusing on what the characters' names are, what the word is that you don't understand, you need to think about like, what is happening? And what is the point of this? And that's doing this sort of longer free reading, I think is, is a really good, it's a good way of doing that. And two more benefits to it, I think is one, it's a good way of scrubbing all the bad reading habits that you've picked up that won't help you on the LSAT. If you're someone, I, I know a lot of people who they need, when they're reading something, they're just trying to, un they're trying to imbue every word and sink it in and memorize it. And especially if you're someone who has a photographic memory, you're, you're doing versions of that. And I think 
reading things that are purposely really dense, long, or just sort of the, the point of it is not to be memorizing facts. It's a great way of just helping yourself get rid of that habit a little bit. And the other thing, this is a, a sort of sneaky advantage of this too. It helps you fall asleep. If the LSAT is stressful and it just, it gets more and more stressful often for people, the closer they get to test day. And a really nice thing to have in your, your toolkit as you get closer to test day is having built up the habit of reading and sort of luxuriating in it before you go to bed. It's going to make it much easier to sort of deal with that, that pre-test jitters. No, I think those are all great points. So, I mean, if we were to take kind of combine all of those disparate things and to kind of turn them into a plan, how can everyone listening kind of turn that into a study plan that they can go home with? Yeah, exactly. So what I would say is you don't need to be, you don't necessarily need to be scheduling this in the same way that you're scheduling your, your drilling work and all that stuff. What I would say is there's a couple ways to do it. Some people, what works for them is just be the person that blocks out 30 minutes before you go to sleep to read something. And just do it. Just just do it for a month and a half around your time taking the test. And it's going to get so much easier so quickly. By the second week, this is what I do. This is my habit. And you can sort of, for people that are, get nervous of their, they're doing an insufficient amount of studying, it's, there's no better way to go out than every night than I'm doing something for myself. I'm doing something for my LSAT. So that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is to, for, for people, people often tend to have very heavy study days unintentionally or, or intentionally. People end up with days that are much harder than others where they're trying to do a lot of work. Maybe they had a really hard day at work or something, or they're, they're trying to get down like a PT and change. I think oftentimes if you sense that you're sort of starting to feel burnt out with drilling stuff, this is a great substitute. Just block out 45 minutes for yourself to sit down and read and you're actually getting, you're getting a lot of value out of it and you're helping yourself, but you're, it won't feel as tedious to have to come back to the, the sort of standard LSAT stuff. So you, I know you've mentioned both, well, the core curriculum, but also drills and PTs. If RC is the main thing that you struggle with, how do you prioritize those different elements? How do you combine them into something cohesive for a plan? Because I see that with a lot of clients. That they know that they should, you study the core curriculum sometimes, and they know that they should drill, they know that they should PT, but bringing that all together into something cohesive, like how much should I do of each? Yeah, so I'll bring in one other thing to, to add to that mix too, which I think is a helpful way of thinking about. So one other thing that I think is, is super helpful and is a way of bridging the gap, and then I'll sort of get to how you can string them together, is doing, which is a middle ground between drilling and doing this reading, is sort of forcing yourself to do a bit of speed reading. So doing, let's say you're someone who likes to read the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal or something, doing, reading the op-eds that you would normally read just at 2x speed and doing trying to get the structure down, reading for structure, reading for and asking yourself, what's the author's main take? What's the point? What's the structure? And, and sort of training that impulse with these shorter things. So yeah, the way that I would string them all together is thinking about every day, the, the fundamental thing that you need to be doing is drilling. Drilling is sort of the bedrock of this. I think the ship, if you are someone who needs RC work, if you're someone who needs to work with any section, drilling needs to be the priority. And drilling is where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. So let's say you're someone who has, I don't know, you, you have three hours a day to study and you just want to be doing, you just want to be doing RC every day, all day, which I would also not recommend. But let's let's say you're a hypothetical person where you want to be doing that. Maybe doing something in the range of what I would often have clients do is one day is a PT day and you take the PT that day. It takes takes a long time. The next day you review it. You do your you do your blind review. If you're someone who has a lot of time in a given day, you take the PT and you review it in the same day. And then on subsequent days, what you're doing is maybe let's say you're gonna do an hour and a half of drilling 
maybe you're going to mix in some logic games in there to break up the reading, which is a good idea. I would recommend that. An hour and a half of drilling, maybe 15 to 30 minutes of reviewing your your old PT, looking at your, your wrong answer journal, sort of thinking about what are the habits that I'm having. And then maybe you're going to read, you're just going to take out a book and read for 40 minutes. And then maybe at some point scattered throughout that day, you're going to open up the New York Times and you're going to test yourself quickly. I'm going to read this op-ed in three minutes and I'm going to recite to myself, what's the structure of it? What does the author think? So I think thinking about it somewhat, something on the order of a hypothetical person, three hours, hour and a half drilling, 30 minutes, wrong answer journal, sort of blind review-ish, and then leave yourself an hour on the end to do these things that are a little more sustainable and a little more, I would say probably from, for most people, a bit more fun. That's what I would say. But again, it's super, it's super flexible depending on what people's needs are. Yeah. Maybe, maybe kind of probe into that because obviously there are people with different needs here in the chat. What, what are the factors that would cause you to put more emphasis on one or the other? Yeah. So, so I think, so the first thing is the easiest thing for most people to do self-evaluation about is what is your stamina? And oftentimes if, if you have a tutor, if you have a study buddy who can look at your analytics, if they know what they're looking for, they could probably tell you if your stamina is not so great, but I would really encourage that's the first thing to titrate. If you're having trouble with stamina, it's you, you have to be getting in PTs. You have to be getting in drills that take a long time because just as you said, you have to be getting in those five or six passage drills. You should really, really try and get in 40 minutes of just consecutive reading at some point in your day. And if stamina is your issue, that's one way to fix it. The, the other thing is for some people, different people are different. Some people really have a passage type that is their weakness. For some people, the art passages, art is probably the most common. I think that, that people, art or science, I think are the, the common culprits for people to feel sort of outmatched by. And in that case, drilling is really valuable. You can really, you can just do drills where what you're doing is you're doing four R passages. And I think if you do that enough, the R passages are going to start to feel a lot easier. So, so that's one way. If you are someone who knows that you need to be going much faster, especially if you're sort of, you're scoring pretty well, but you keep getting frustrated, there's not enough time at the end of the test. I think really focusing on drills, doing the thing where you, you take a couple easy passages and, and you really try and pick up the pace, doing some combination of that and this sort of New York Times speed reading games, that that should be a priority. So I think people who are self-studying, and it's definitely doable, is doing a bit of self-examination of which subcomponent, which of the skills that RC is testing am I bad at? I think people get fixated on, you'll get fixated on question type, partially because you can see that in analytics, but and, and question type can be really valuable too, but really forcing yourself to think about what are the skills that I'm really good at and what are the skills that I'm less good at and, and need to work on and, and thinking about titrating things based on that. No, I think that's fantastic. We're, we're coming close to the end of uh, the time before we jump into questions. What are your kind of closing thoughts or what, do you, what are the last things you want to leave everybody home with? Yeah. So the takeaway of this is I want people to have sort of two main takeaways. So the first is that the way to think about RC and the way to make RC feel more manageable from a studying and sort of a training perspective is to really force yourself to think about the subcomponent skills. I think RC becomes much more daunting to think about if you're thinking about it as just it's testing this amorphous notion of reading. 
that's super daunting. And how do I get better at that? How do I get better at having a short-term memory? Those are scary things. I think it becomes way less scary and can start to become way more tangible if you are sort of doing the self-examination to think about which parts of this feel easy to me and which parts of this feel hard to me and attacking those things. And I think I want people to feel they can, you can sort of do some differentiation and and attack different needs and, and sort of maybe be gentler on others. That's the first thing. And the second thing is RC studying. I think RC studying gets a bad rap among uh, putting aside all the stuff that I just talked about. People also think it's boring. It's kind of boring to just keep reading these LSAT passages and you're, you're sort of playing interesting level roulette with it. One day you get something about the Earth's crust and then the next day you get something about Louis Armstrong. Depending on whether you're a Louis Armstrong person or an Earth's crust person, it can be, it gets old. And, and I think what I want people to think about is RC studying does not have to be limited to the material that the LSAT produces. People say that RC's testing reading, that's so hard to get better at, but then they sort of restrict themselves to the stuff that the LSAT produces. And if it's testing reading, there's a lot of ways to get better at the type of reading that it's testing. And it's not just the LSAT writers that can do that for you. You can concoct a way of attacking RC that works well for you and, and also feels sustainable. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, guys, we are about to turn things over to you for questions. We always try to give at least 20 minutes or so for questions. I wanted to just talk a little bit about an opportunity that we have coming next Wednesday on August 31st. We will be hosting our latest study group breakout program. So if you're someone who's looking for a study group and want an easy way to meet up with people, this is the perfect event for you. So in this, we will all take the same LR section. You will all register for this in advance, and then we will automatically pair you with a group of people who have a similar score, average score on their PTs to you. So you'll be kind of automatically put in a study group of people who have already taken the same material you have so that you can see if that's a study group that you would enjoy. And if you do, you can continue to meet with them after that event. So we're, we're kind of trying to put together an event that hopefully is a little bit easier and less daunting than just playing forum roulette, if you will, trying to find a group of people. That is next Wednesday. That's August 31st. You can see the link in the chat where I just put it. So please feel free to sign up for that. We would love to have a good turnout for it. With that, I'm going to go ahead and turn over to our first person who has a question. And Kaylee, go ahead and ask your question. Do you have any advice on what to do when you're down to two answer choices and they're both equally attractive? Yeah. So so what I would say is... The biggest trap that I see people falling into with the, the two answer choices thing is just doing the thing where you just keep looking at one and you keep looking at the other and you keep looking at one and you keep looking at the other and sort of pitting them against each other and assuming that the answer is going to, the correct answer is going to come to you through beating beating one against the other. I, I think the one thing I really encourage people to do is look to the passage. If you're, the way to get out of a two answer jam is not by trying to reconcile one against the other. It's by really diverting your eyes back to the passage, even if it's just in your head of closing your eyes, okay, what was in there, but probably even better looking to directly to the thing. I I think that's, that's the biggest tip I would give people who are whittled down to two. Yeah. I think it's fantastic. The only thing I would add to it is that anytime you are stuck between two answer choices and you've, you've read them once, you've read them twice, you still don't know which one it is. Also just note, that's probably a really hard question. It's not a place that you want to spend a whole bunch of time. So go back to the passage quickly, try to find which of the two feels most likely to you. But the most important is put an answer down, flag it and move on. The worst mistake you can make in a situation like that is to burn too much time trying to adjudicate which of those is the right answer. Thank Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Of course. 
All right. And then Evan. So I have two questions. First, when it comes to the comparative passages, do you have any advice or research or resources on how to deal with those? And second, is there a way to kind of recognize the hardest or the five-star passage out of the four? Because I'm someone that struggles with time. And I was thinking if I could figure out which passage is the hardest, I can go ahead and focus on the other three and leave that one for when I have less time left. The, the comparative passages are tricky. And I, I think there's sort of an inherent, there's always a question of how differently should you be treating them versus just a normal RC passage. And I think, I think it's probably a, the trap that I feel that some people go down is just trying to do too much of a different thing with the comparative passages than just the same thing that you would do with normal RC. So the thing that I would say is you should really focus on trying to have a sense of the same thing. It's the same things that you would do for a normal RC passage. What is the point of passage A and what is the point of passage B? And to what extent do they overlap with each other? And how does that relate to what the point of each one is? This sort of sounds silly advice, but I would really try and focus on just the same. The same core skill is going to get you to the answer much better than sort of trying to game it out too much. Scott, what would you say? Yeah, so there's a lot of debate of whether it's better to read one passage and then answer every question you can and then read the other or to read them both and answer questions. What I'll say is that my experience with a variety of different clients is some clients handle that strategy, one of those strategies better than the other. I would suggest try them both and see which works best for you. But the main strategy that are just the main mindset I think you need to go into it with is that as you're interacting with both passages, you should be asking, what does the other author think about what I'm reading here? Because really, that's what the comparative passage is designed to try to tease out. Can you kind of put yourself in the position of the author of passage A as you read passage B and see it through their eyes? So if you can have that question in the back of your mind as you read passage B, you're much more likely to come up with the, to, to recognize and to identify the things that the LSAT is really hoping that you'll identify. And, and ultimately, the questions will reward you if you do. Yeah, I think that sounds right. And and so for the five star, I'll say two things for the five star. And, and Scott, again, probably has some good thoughts. So what I would say in the first instance, the way that I encourage people to think about speed is is less that you're really trying to suss out what the five star one is and really using your your energy to do that but it's more the minute that you recognize that a passage might be easy for you speed up it can often be much easier to do that than to sort of there's a bit of a paralysis associated with is this the is this the really hard one is this not the really hard one i think speeding up is a good way of doing it and the other thing that can be helpful is it the hard ones are almost always toward the end the first two I can't really, can you think of a counterexample, Scott, where they, they threw a super hard one in the first two? Yeah, the, there there are some, but they're not very recent. So I mean, if you look through the 80s and the 90s, at least on RC, they've gotten progressively more consistent, and well, on Logic Games as well, at putting, having a couple easy passages and then a third and fourth passage that are relatively more difficult. That said, RC, because it's weird, we can give you the statistics on how hard the different passages are, but your experience might be very different. If you really struggle with a particular genre of passage, even though it's passage two and might not strictly be harder than one that comes later, it might still be harder for you. Similarly, comparative passages, if you're someone who really struggles with comparative passages, obviously that's going to feel the hardest passage on a particular RC section. So the thing I would say is that if, if you notice a trend of a particular genre makes things harder, or if a comparative passage makes things harder, don't hesitate to just declare, this one's going to be my hardest one, and I'm going to save it to the end. 
let me tackle all the easy stuff and then really hit the hard passage for you as the last one, because that almost always is going to be a better use of your time. Thank you, guys. All right, Mary. Hi. So, Jacob, earlier you mentioned that reading as an editor is different than reading for reading comprehension. I was wondering if you could please elaborate on the steps you took to kind of unlearn or retrain your brain to take what you learned as an editor to the information on reading comprehension. Yeah, it's a super good question. So I think that the thing about being an editor that was the most valuable for RC is if you're, who knows if I was a good editor or not, but if you aspirationally, what you want to be doing as an editor is getting in the head of the person who wrote it and you want to make the piece, you want to make the thing that they wrote the best argument for them, the best version of their argument, the best version of their thought process. And that's in in a way, it's sort of the same skill that the LSAT is forcing you to write. You got to get in the head of the the proverbial imagined head of the of the author of the passage. And that's a skill that I think was, was super useful. The stuff that worked less well is sort of the hunting. It, it's the critical re- reading with an eye toward trying to change things or seeing what does not work and what is deficient or what is analytically weak. And that's great for LR, honestly. That was that was super helpful for a lot of LR. It, it's not so great often for RC because you're, the goal is to read. You're not trying to read to critique what's going on. That That's not the, the goal. So I, I think what helped me is just reading. When I say that the reading, sort of long reading stuff really helped me, I mean it. I think just reading things and just letting yourself just take them in. That was really helpful in rewiring. I'm just going to read this book and I'm going to enjoy it. That was a great rewiring technique. And I think the other more mechanical thing that really helped is I, throughout my time, at a certain point, I I took the LSAT doing the seven stage low res summaries. I was I was writing low res summaries on test day throughout my practice after a certain point. And that's a really good just forcing function to make you read the thing differently. And I find it just really worked well for me. And I think it works well for other people too. Great. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Sarah. I really have a tip about challenge drills. So I was just wondering if you could give more insight on the most efficient way to go about creating those. And if we create them manually or if they're preset, should we do four or five star passages? I know obviously target your specific weaknesses, but any insight would be helpful. So on the just mechanic stuff of how you create it, Seven Sages is, is great for this. The the drill generator stuff, this is its perfect use is is to do these things. You can filter for for question difficulty, you can filter for question type, all that stuff. So I when I did them and when I have my clients do them, it's just using the seven sage drill generator to do it. And you pick your four and you go. In terms of four and five star. I think it kind of depends how big of a challenge you feel you need. If you're someone who's trying to get in the 170 or especially the mid 170s, your challenge rule should be five star passages. It should be four or five star passages. The other thing is there's some, it's not perfect science. The the difference between a four star passage and a five star passage is not absolute. I would say in terms of picking for subject matter, a good general practice is to replicate, to keep one thing consistent with what it would be on test day. So to pluck from the different passage types and, and make your thing out of that. But again, if you need specific practice with one thing or another, just toggling the amount of those you do is, is good too. I think it's it's really quite hard to do. I, I, I can't remember a time where I've asked a client to do a 
just a challenge drill based solely out of one passage type that that feels a little bit i don't know maybe scott feels differently but that, yeah that, I, I would say unless you really really struggle with one and only one passage type i i typically encourage people to diversify a bit but the the point of a challenge drill ultimately is you, you're trying to build a a selection of really hard passages or if it's one of the other sections really hard games or really hard questions and the idea being that ultimately your approach to really hard passages, games, or LR questions is going to be different than your approach to easier ones. If it's harder, then you need to go slower. You need to be more deliberative if you're going to still maintain accuracy. Whereas if you're dealing with easy passages, you're gaming not so much for accuracy as for speed. And it's important on each section of the test to be able to switch gears from the it's easy, so I'm going to go fast to this is hard, so I need to be slow and careful. And being able to, to really quickly alternate between those is really important. So isolating hard ones and easy ones, it's a good way to kind of build in those two gears that you need to be able to, to access when you're going through the test. Okay, awesome. Thanks so much. That's helpful. Of course. All right, David. So I guess my question really is just, obviously, so for somebody who wants to score in the 170s, obviously a decent chunk percentage of the questions you'd assume have to be answered on the basis of a strong initial read. I know I can't hold you to a specific percentage, obviously, but my intuition is telling me that at least 70% of the questions should be answered on a strong initial read. Obviously, there's a component of efficiency. If you're down to contenders, you don't want to be spinning your wheels. Where you can research your reservations in the passage, then by all means, go back. But my intuition is if I don't know where the information is, then I just got to bite the bullet. So I just, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's no, as you say, there's no exact science. I think the real, the real question comes down to how quickly are you reading the passage? If you're, I've seen from, for people who who score really highly, I've seen pretty wide variation. Some people, the, the pie chart will skew, there's no consistent pie chart, I don't think, among people. There is probably some consistent, but there's lots of variability in the pie chart among people who are doing really well. I would say, I don't know, it, 70% seems reasonable. It also depends it depends how long. The other thing to think about is if I'm someone who's going back to the passage, how long am I going back to the passage for? Am, am I the type of person who, to get value out of going back to the passage, needs to read one sentence on either side of the relevant piece of information? Or am I the type of person who can look back at the passage and it's just the sort of jogging of the memory thing that needs to happen? So I think that's, in some ways, more than anything else, that can be the relevant question for people is what does looking back at the passage actually mean for me? Yeah, and I, I, I'd follow it up with just saying, anytime you can, try to avoid going back to the passage. Often the strategy there can be if you spend a little bit more time in the passage in the first place, you can save going back to it. One of the most common pieces of timing advice I give to people, and it, it, it kind of messes with them sometimes, is spend more time in the passage. If you're only spending two and a half or three minutes or three and a half minutes in the passage, spending 30 seconds, even 60 seconds more in the passage will oftentimes save you more time than it costs you because you're spending so much time because you're speed reading through the passage, spending time on the questions, then going back to the passage. So a thorough read on the first on the first go through can often save you a lot of time. So it's kind of analogous to making inferences up front on an LG game. Just dedicate mm -hmm. that time to, to bank more time on the questions. Because often people try to make it an exact science, but I've had good takes where I'm spending a little over four or 10 on a passage and it's worked out fine. Yeah. No, I, I would almost always say, I mean, again, there's, there's diminishing returns. If you're taking six minutes to go through the passage, you're going to have a hard time finishing. But if you're, if you're spending, I would say, if you're spending less than four and a half minutes on the passage, you're probably doing okay for most passages. I wouldn't try to look 
making a big time savings by by cutting down your passage time, I would look to, let, let's try to refer back to the passage less and answer the questions more efficiently before I cut down on the passage time. Because cutting down on passage time ultimately hurts your fundamental understanding of the passage. Yeah, and, and I would say, just as a full circle to that too, a drill that's super helpful for a lot of people is drilling, whether it's a passage or a section, testing yourself and seeing what amount of these questions can I get right without looking back to the passage. Just a memory drill is what we would call it. So that's a, it's a good way of sort of gauging where you're at. Thank you. That's really good advice. Thank you. No problem. Thanks, David. We're going to, we're, we're coming at the end of our official time, but we are going to stick around and answer a few more questions for a few more minutes. But before we do that, I did just want to mention one other opportunity that we have for you guys. If you've really enjoyed listening to Jacob talk about all of these things and you th have thought to yourself, it would be really nice to be able to spend more time with someone like Jacob. Well, that is a service that we do in fact provide here at Seven Sage. We have a staff of tutors, now more than 40 strong, with a median score of 177 on the test. So a little bit higher than Yale's 75th percentile. We employ really smart people who are really love to help you guys really maximize your score and also maximize your study time and make it as efficient as possible. If you'd like to talk to one of them and see whether tutoring would be a good fit for you, you can actually book a free consult on the link that I'm putting in the chat right now. So please avail yourselves of that. And again, we're going to stick around for about 10 more minutes and answer the remaining questions that you guys have, or at least as many of them as we can possibly get to in that time. So starting with Yi. Hi, Jacob. I just want to ask, do you have any materials that would recommend to us to kind of practice fast reading? Just some genre or some just basic topics. Thank you. Yeah, super good question. And, th and that was something that we were maybe going to talk about, but wanted in the interest of time with David. So I'm glad you asked. So what I would say the biggest priority, there's two ways to filter out stuff. You want stuff that's sort of in the, I don't know, 400 to 1500 word range. An LSAT passage is 450 words, thereabouts. The good news for you is that the New York Times opinion section often will not let people write things that are longer than a thousand words. And most op-eds are sort of in that range. So I would say filtering for one length and two, and this is probably more important, honestly, you want something that has an opinion in it, that has a, that the author has a take, has a stance on something. The, the LSAT passages, the authors do, and sometimes it's a little bit difficult to discern exactly what it is, but the authors, they have some point of view that they have. And part of what can be hard for students is recognizing that and discerning exactly what that is and how it's supported. So I would do things that have opinions in them. So what is that? And what are the things that fit both those buckets? So the New York Times opinion section, the Wall Street Journal opinion section, the Washington Post opinion section, your local newspaper opinion section. Alternatively, and, and these can be good too, a lot of people say The Economist. And sure, I, I honestly, I confess I'm always a bit stumped about what it is about The Economist that people think is the magic bullet. But the other thing that works well is The Atlantic, Atlantic ideas section. The Atlantic often will make people have an idea and defend it, which is sort of what the LSAT is doing. And the other place is the New York Times has news analysis things where there, it's not just what happens, it's what does it mean and what should we make of it. Those are the sorts of things that I would work on. Stuff where there is an opinion and stuff that is not super, super long. Those, those are the general guidelines. Tamara. Oh, thank you. Hi, everyone. So I just wanted to ask two questions about the use of highlighters and essentially writing down the low res. So with highlighters, do you have maybe a methodology that you're using when essentially doing it because it's not on paper anymore? And the second question is, while reading the passage, do you stop at the end of the paragraph to write down a low res? Or essentially, you would even consider writing the important words. So just jot, jot down as you go. Thank you. 
Yeah, both really good questions. So with the highlighting, Seven Sages interface has a great little highlighting tool that some people even would have some some clients who have different colors that they know what the colors mean. That's I always think that's impressive, and if it works for them, it's good. The actual LSAT interface as well, right? Scott has highlighting abilities, and yeah. So I think I would say word of caution with highlighting. I think there's often a point where the highlighting. I would always be interrogating what is the highlighting doing for you is, is a good self-evaluation strategy. If you're using the highlighting to identify where we're introducing a new speaker, okay, yeah. But I think oftentimes the low res can work better for people than highlighting. And it's a way of focusing your reading in a way that highlighting doesn't. And and so as a, a process thing with, with low res, I would say it's always best to wait till you finish a paragraph to, to jot down what it means. And sometimes it's actually going to happen that you you read something, you read a paragraph, you're not really even sure what it means or what its role in the broader scheme is. And then you start reading the next paragraph and you're like, oh man, okay, that makes sense. And I think, so either doing your, your low res note taking after having read a paragraph or it's okay to be a little more patient and see, because the point of it is not to be, yes, I really got this paragraph, but it's sort of understand as a system what is happening. And, and so for me personally, I was not highlighting when I was taking RC. I, I occasionally did a bit of highlighting for LR, but I I was doing the low res. So something I would just add to that. If you can do the low res in your head, great. If you need to write it down, also great. Writing down takes more time, but if it builds comprehension, then it's probably time that's worth spending. And with highlighting, always be really targeted with it. You should be highlighting and hunting for very specific things if you're using that tool. The kind of standard undergrad, I'm just going to highlight everything that looks important, is almost a guaranteed way to, to waste your time and ultimately make it harder to go back to the passage to find the things that you actually need. So if you're going to highlight your transition words, great. If you're going to highlight different speakers that are encountered in the passage because those you have you have difficulty finding and, and, and remembering them, then great. But don't just highlight what vaguely feels important because that'll almost always spend more time than it actually helps you. Awesome. Thank you. I concur. I totally highlight when the opinion switches or there's a word or there's a date or a quote, essentially, that I think yeah. it's So thank you. Excellent. Tenzin. Hi, thanks to the both of you for your time tonight. Jacob, I think the advice that you gave about breaking RC up into subcomponents is a great one. I'm totally guilty of kind of painting the whole section with one brush. I'm wondering what the best approach is when there's a clear weakness based on analytics. How do you drill to target that? Because you obviously can't drill by question types. And for just more clarity for me, minor inference questions, which might be just because they're, they're more common, but I just don't know if there is a way that I could specifically drill for that weakness. Yeah, it's it's a really good question. So I think for some people, it, it sort of depends what it, it depends what that, what that thing is. I would say that, so the thing to ask yourself is, and this, this can be challenging, is what is it about this question type that's giving me a hard time? I think some people... For some people, the, the question type that pops the most in analytics is main point questions. They're either just taking an incredibly long time on main point questions or they're, for whatever reason, they're, the thing expects you to be good at main point questions and they're just not figuring it out. And for that person, a main point comprehension problem is often just a low res problem and it's a reading for structure problem. What's the point of this? I would say for inference questions, I, I think the thing that I would encourage you to do is just like thinking, doing thinking about what is it, what is it about inference questions that are hard for me? And going back, obviously it's good to do passages that have those, but also trying to think about what is hard about this for me and how can I apply that to the way that I'm reading or the, or the way that I'm referring back to the passage. Inference questions, I think sometimes the challenge can just be 
it can be the getting in the author's head thing can be hard. That that can be the root of the problem. And I think maybe even if it's just a question of forcing yourself as you're drilling to write down, like, what does the author think? What does the author think? Maybe maybe that can be helpful. I don't know, Scott, what, what would you say to that? No, I think, I think you covered it really well. Thank All you. All right. Farid? Hi. So my question is, is it helpful to do the passages that you already did? Is it productive to do them again? This is a really good question. And I think different people feel different ways about this. So what I would say is definitely productive is blind reviewing. If you if you have taken a PT and the passage felt hard or whatever, you should blind review the passage. And that's, I guess that's technically doing it again, but you're, you're doing it again and you're looking at it with an eye toward was this, was I having a hard time with this because I didn't have enough time? Was I having a hard time with this because I couldn't understand? It's a way of separating, again, content errors from, from timing errors. So, so I think that's worth it. I don't generally have, it, I don't, certainly nothing along the lines of logic game foolproofing. I definitely don't have people do that. But I, I think some, for passages that feel really, really hard for you, it can be worth doing them again and, and doing them again a couple of times. And just because it, it's a, it's a way of understanding what, what is challenging to me about this test, especially with RC, it's a little more, I think it's a lot more difficult to disentangle what is actually hard about this for me and being sensitive to the things that are hard for you and, and doing them again as a way of figuring that out. Thank you. All right. Madison. Hi, can you hear me now? <laughs> yes, we can now. Okay, great. Okay. <laughs> My question is, I have a bad habit of a lot of the times when I'm reviewing my answers, I notice that I'll be between two answers and end up picking the wrong one. And the other answer I will have been deciding between was the correct answer. So I was wondering if you have any advice with that and maybe how when you're choosing between the two answers, I know you kind of mentioned this earlier, but really trying to know that that's the correct answer before moving on. I think it can be harder. RC is less scientific, right, than, than other sections. So I think that it, it's, I think, fairly common for that to feel harder with RC. What I would say is if you're in a position where you have, you know, you have time to answer the question. And I think it's sort of trying to map the answer choice in your head, not physically. Mapping it back onto the passage is the way of seeing what's going on. Because I, I often think an answer choice that's marginally bad will expose itself if you if you do the thing where you try and actually be, okay, but where is this coming from? What is the relationship between this answer choice and the passage in concrete terms? And I think there it can kind of, that's where it can kind of sometimes fall apart. Yeah. Thank you. All right. And Hannah, I think I've already given you permission to talk because I accidentally clicked on you instead of Madison earlier. Yeah. yeah. Hi, hi everyone. Thanks for doing this. Do you have any sort of bullet point advice in terms of increasing our speed? Because that's my main problem. I've been, it's been a while that I tend to get more questions, but I really have difficulty, too much difficulty increasing my speed. Is there any specific thing that you would mention? I know a lot of things that you already said, but besides increasing rating speed, is there any other advice? in terms of maybe getting how to get faster in terms of getting in, in inferences. So that's my first question. Yeah, I'd actually start off by saying that the, the single best piece of timing advice I have in RC is to refer back to the passage less. That almost always is the most time-consuming part of this. And, and oftentimes we are referring back to the passage when we don't really need to. And it ultimately isn't going to help you that much in answering to the questions. We almost kind of get into, the, into a kind of a nervous habit of doing that. So, and if you, if you find yourself doing that a lot, I would actually challenge you, take, take a section where you don't refer back to the passage at all. Do it purely for memory. 
You obviously won't score quite as well, but I think you'll be surprised how well you do score. And if you can get good at differentiating between the questions where you absolutely have to go back to the passage and the ones where you don't, that's going to make a market improvement in your time. Yeah, I, I would say the other the other thing to do is like some people are very rigorous about double checking their answer choices. And I think some on hard LR questions, especially double checking, very good. We, we want to be doing rigorous answer choice elimination. It both takes longer on RC and is often less necessary. So I, I would also be sort of if you're the type of person who's really heavy on the double checking stuff, I would I would check that impulse. Right. Yeah, that's. I, I I was just gonna ask you guys how did you know that I'm that type of person that would double <laughs> because <laughs> everyone is <laughs> that was really no. amazing and just lastly if you have any any advice if for someone that looking for maybe one once in one sixties is there any way for us to know how to escape questions in RC because I it's pretty clear how to do that in logical reasoning because you know if you're if you know your strength and weaknesses in different question type but it's not as clear in rc so if, if you have any advice on that that would be great yeah scott why don't you take this one yeah in terms of skipping questions in rc the, the advice i always give is if you if you read through all of the answer choices and none of them appeal to you that's almost certainly one to flag and skip because in rc the only, the only way to resolve that is to then okay now i have to go back to the passage and i have to figure out which of these answer choices is actually right so you've identified that that is a hard that is a hard question and it is one that is going to be time consuming and costly for you to answer better for you to take that on the second pass if you have time for one rather than you try to answer it right away okay Thank you so much. My pleasure. All right. We have a few more left here. Nathan. Yeah. My question was about structure versus low res arguments. When you're doing your summaries, are you thinking more of content or more of this is argument? This is the example. This is analogy. This is a counter argument. How are you thinking of that as you're getting into the head of the author? Yeah, definitely the the second one. That That's what I... So what I tell my students and, and what I try to do is you want to think of just like a... I mean, you don't actually have to be doing this, but a way of thinking about what Lomas is, is there should be a verb associated with each paragraph. Introduces X, argues Y, rebuts Z, proposes W. And, and I think that that can often be more valuable. For some people, it's a good use of time to just remember where a specific secondary source that we're talking about, where if we're talking about Riggleheimer or whatever, remembering what paragraph that's in can be useful. But I think really focusing on the, what is the author doing as opposed to the, the content is, is useful. Thank you. Absolutely. And then Mylene just asked her question down here in the chat and I, she waited very patiently. So I'll go ahead and say it for her. Jacob mentioned his initial struggle with science passages. How did he overcome this? Yeah, it, it's a good question. So, I mean, practice, but I, I think the, the biggest thing, the biggest thing for me is there, there's a bit of, I talked a little bit earlier, there's this thing where you, there's a tendency to get bogged down in what am I not understanding about this and sort of focusing on the stuff that's not working for you, especially content wise. I don't understand this word. I don't understand this obscure scientific concept. And I think the place where the reading for structure thing is the most useful tip is for stuff that you have no idea what you're talking about. I remember, I have a very clear memory of taking a PT. I think the, the thing was about coral reefs or something. I don't remember exactly. And I understood nothing about what was going on. And I hit this moment of panic. And then I, I, I'm just going to keep going. And I'm going to try and understand what is happening here. And what is the author doing? And what function does each paragraph have? I think just even arming yourself with the knowledge that that's what matters can be really helpful. 
All right. And this is going to be the last one that we're going to take because it is now 20 minutes over time. And, and I know Jacob has to go to bed and so do I fairly soon. But please, I'm putting my email down in the chat. Those of you who didn't get around, we didn't get around to your questions, please go ahead and email me your questions. I'd be happy to answer them. We just don't have time for everybody. But Estrella, you get to be the last one. Hi, can you guys hear me? We can. Yes. I'm currently shopping at HEV while trying to listen to this. So my question is, I took the June LSAT and I bombed everything because I got COVID that week. And now it's just really hard to try to get into the role of studying and really trying hard to get where I was before. So really, what's your recommendation with getting back into the role of studying and getting back into feeling well with yourself and after seeing a score that? You just completely could not even imagine. First of all, I, I, I suffered through COVID in October of last year. I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. So uh, congratulations on coming out on the other side of that. The, the biggest encouragement I would give you is the score on the next LSAT you take has nothing intrinsically to do with the, uh, the score that you made in June. You can make a terrible score in June and you can make a fantastic score the next time that you take it. And our tutoring program it is filled with not only clients, but also tutors who have done exactly that. We, we have people working for us who started in the 140s and ended up with a high 170 score. So yeah, the fact that you did poorly once doesn't have anything to do with where you're going to end up. It's, it, it's just a footnote, a one point of data for you to learn from and then forget as you strive towards something better. And, and I would say just as a super practical thing, what I would say is setting, I mean, this is just sort of generic productivity, habit forming advice, setting very attainable daily goals, as opposed to being, I need to do all these different things. It's today, I'm going to do two drills. They're going to be these drills and I'm going to be done. And I'm going to slowly ramp it up. I think just making it concrete as, as opposed to some sort of abstract, I, I need to get studying again thing is, is helpful. Yeah, thank you so much. That definitely helps. It's it's just more of a hey, everything's gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah, everything, yeah. everything is gonna yeah. be okay. Yeah. Thank you guys so All much. Right. Well, thank you guys so much. We've thoroughly enjoyed tonight. Please feel free to look us up. Shoot me an email if you ha had a question that we didn't get to tonight. And I look forward to seeing you all again here in a few weeks when we'll be having another one of these. Have a good night, everybody. Hey, it's JY again. Thanks for listening. And I hope you got some good advice that you can implement in your own studies. If you are thinking about working with a tutor, get in touch. We'll do a free consultation. You can reach us on sevensage.com. That's it for this episode. Take care of yourself and see you next time.